Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chen. And I'm Sarah Watt. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. However, what has become definitely a tradition in Cinema in Context's year, uh, we are going to be doing our wrap-up of the year for our December episode. But, dear listeners, it has been a year. Right, team? Right? Yeah, what a year. What a year. Yeah, it, gosh, a year. 365 days it really of has. this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, movies have been pushed back. Movies have had their release schedules change from coming out in cinemas to being online. Uh, and, and really, the streaming services have won. They've mm-hmm. truly won out of this, this scenario of, of COVID interruptions and lockdowns and cinemas being closed. But... It's, it's, I feel for a lot of our cinemas, they've had a really tough year. So we've been sort of thrown um, a little bit with trying to figure out how we might do our best of 2020. And usually between us, we would have seen a fair number of films. But I, I mean, I've already said this before. I've only seen about five or six new movies. I don't know about the two of you. Have you seen much this year? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen many more. And I think that the fact that a lot of the film festivals were hybrid, uh, well, I mean, the biggest plus, I think, is that we're in New Zealand. So therefore, we did actually get to go to the cinema for certain things, didn't Mm -hmm. we? But also, we had hybrid film festivals that allowed us to watch things online. So I still feel like I've seen a lot of films, but just not all those big ones that we were expecting. Mm, That's right. And and for me, I mean, yeah, we do get to go to the movies, but there's not much there, um, which is disappointing. I mean, I, I have... One of my movies that I actually went to see is Sonic the Hedgehog, and that's what I remember. <laughs> that's what I'll always remember 2020 being, Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, think, there you go. I think Tenet was probably the biggest film that came out this year, and we've talked mm-hmm. about that in a previous episode. Um, but apart from that, there hasn't been much at the actual theatre. Was Sonic this year? It was, yeah. Ah. Came out in, what, February? Right, so before, <laughs> yeah. before lockdowns and things like that. Wow. So um, we have decided to change it up. And because we have had multiple lockdowns in Auckland, uh, there has been a lot of opportunities to both watch films that are on streaming services as well as go back and watch some classics. I know in my, my case, I had flatmates that hadn't seen certain films and I hadn't seen certain films. We sort of would have a fr- Friday night film watching session. We even watched Surf Nazis Must, must Die. Good the, Lord. The yes. degrade uh, grindhouse film of the 1980s. That's the kind of vibes that we were having in our flat. I've been going to um, the theatre, well, the actual theatres, to watch repertory films like The Lost Boys and Little Shop of Horrors um, and Heat. Uh, and that's been good times. But again, mm-hmm. that's not new releases. So what are we going to do, Jeremy? Well, funny you should ask that, Sarah. We have each written our top five highlights of the year onto little slips of paper. And the highlights don't have to have been films that have come out this year. What? I know, right? In fact, (laughs) whilst we're called Cinema in Context, they don't even have to be films. Cinema, we have also included or allowed the inclusion of television series. So from next year, we're going to call ourselves Audiovisual in Context. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Audiovisual in Context and Contemporaneously Inclusion. (laughs) Um, and so we have got each of these five um, personal highlights of the year in a hat. So there's 15, 15 options for us to pull from today. And we're going to choose it one at a time. We're each going to choose a, a, another person's highlight and read out the name of that film or that TV series. 
And if we're not aware of it, we're going to try and guess and make up a synopsis to Hmm. what that means. Well, I'm going to be reviewing all of these, whether I've seen them or not, because that's how I roll. I have an opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I have an opinion on the name, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, Um, And it's in the spirit of a YouTube clip from the 2013 Golden Globe uh, ceremony with Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell, where they try and come up with the synopsis of each of the films, having not seen them. So go out and have a look at that. Um, in terms of spoilers, we're going to try and, in this case, we usually uh, try and be spoiler-free for our end-of-year wrap-ups, just because there are a number of films that we wouldn't have all seen, uh, but usually we, we talk spoilers, but that's that's our intention, and I think that's, that's it in terms of process. Yeah. Anything else we want to share at this point? Let's just do it and see what happens. Yeah, it's a big hat. Great. Um, Sarah, do you want to do the honours? You choose one of William or my... I would uh, love to, portions. Jeremy. Oh, that's mine. Hang on. We've written our initials on the outsides. Okay, I have one here that says WC. Ooh, but I me. hope that it's not in the toilet. Oh. <laughs> All right. So this is a, uh, <clears throat> I think, a film called Green Eggs and Ham. So um, Green Eggs and Ham is basically a cooking show. Um, and uh, it's about a chef played by John Favreau. Uh, kind oh, that guy loves playing chef. To <laughs> chef. Um, and he decides that he's going to open a restaurant, but he has to do something exciting with the food. And so he colors the eggs green. Um, and um, it's, it's kind of a, a terrific film. I think we could say this film is terrific. This is one of the most terrific films to have come out this year. I believe it was written by a guy called Dr. Sears. Um, and um, other than that, I don't know, though. Did you guys see it? I didn't yeah. see it. I really liked it. I oh, really you liked did? it. Yeah. Tell us about it, It was William. terrific in that el- elicited terror. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Green Eggs and Ham is a Netflix show. Um, it's it's a really, really big Netflix show. I don't know. I, I keep trying to recommend this to people. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's um, it, it's basically it's an animated show based on the book, and it is one of our first attempts at long form Seuss, which sounds just it's like self sabotage. Why would you do that? Mm. Um, so it's uh, it's executive produced and created by a guy called uh, Jared Stern, who'd done a lot of writing work on comedies, uh, The Internship, which isn't very good, Lego Batman, which I loved, um, and it's produced by I guess twenty twenties hated figure of the day, Ellen DeGeneres. Oh. <laughs> and so she was the main like one of the main creative forces pushing that film or the the series forward. Um, it has some names. It has. In, like starring roles, Michael Douglas, Keegan Michael Key, Adam Devine, Diane Keaton, Eddie Izzard, Jeffrey Wright, Gillian Bell, David Diggs, Alana Glazer, John Turturro, to name the least. I mean, it's it's packed with stars. The skies are dark for all the stars wearing green in green eggs and ham. Um, <laughs> does and it use the script of the book? It does, but very, very liberally. So it's not just a, a well, it's clearly not an animated adaptation of the book. <laughs> well, it is. Oh. But it's um, it, it's much more. It uses the book, uh, the book more like guidelines. Right. <laughs> so it, it is eleven episodes of twenty minute, you know, Good episodes, Lord. which is a lot of Seuss from a book that's you know pretty really brief. small. Yeah. And um, and they turned it into a road trip movie, and it's it's beautifully animated. I think it's one of the most expensive animated programs of all time each episode was like a million dollars to produce and it it just shows on screen like it's it's cinema quality animation Mm. on a tv screen 
and with with really really beautiful i guess characters and messages i love the show and it's, the characters are fabrications well some of them are from the book for and all the episodes are named after settings in the box so there's oh. an episode called dark and there's an episode called boat right. and there's an episode called house oh. and an episode called mouse um and again it uses those those bits from the book and some of the iconography from the book as jumping off points for just crazy stuff um the final thing i'll say about this is that it really it, it doesn't come across as too contemporary which i really enjoy because a lot of Seuss adaptations like um, what's called the the new Lorax, which mm. I really didn't like, and it's just it tries to be hip, has pop songs and all that, and for the most part, I feel like Green Eggs and Ham avoids all that stuff, mm. and it comes off as a very sweet tale about, I guess the theme being never to judge things by their appearances, which I like is the, that. the theme of the book. I was going to ask you that, what is the theme? Because yeah. that's the best parts about Seuss, right? And I agree mm-hmm. with you about the pop, introducing the pop music and and the Lorax and. Um, all that Cat in the Hat film. Yeah. Oh just... my goodness, uh, The Grinch, which I enjoyed as a kid, but yeah. it is not a pleasant movie to watch. It's And it just must show how challenging it can be to adapt yeah. to Seuss. I loved, as a kid, I loved The Trouble of Getting to Solo Salou. Have you, <laughs> have you read that story? Yeah. It's a bit more of an unknown one, and it's about the grass is always greener, right? And that there's this character that is trying to escape his problems, and he's going to go to Solo Salou, which is this this beautiful city. And of course, there's a great lesson at the end. Mm. Um but I was thinking as you were talking, I was like, what's the lesson of green eggs and ham? Uh, and I guess I like that. It's try them, try them. Yeah. Is it pitched at little people? It's, it's Yes, it's, um, it is very much a show for children. There are many, many things for adults, yep. right? Uh, I mean, with the cast alone, the David Diggs character, he, he plays the titular mouse. And he's basically a mouse Jean Valjean, and he, he sings like Les Miserables songs. It's very weird. Mm. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. Like it's it's very wholesome. It's very beautifully animated, and I think you'll really, really get something out of it at the end. Mm. Great, great. I have. I mean, there's there's two texts that are coming to mind with the Netflix animation, which is Klaus, which is another one that you mm. have suggested, William, yeah. and The Little Prince, which was a really lovely right. film to watch. So whilst Netflix can be very hit and miss with is very all of its content there are some really great animation offerings on there so green eggs and ham it's one yeah. to try nice to think that david diggs um uh, obviously is fantastic in uh, hamilton this year as well as snowpiercer <laughs> the tv show uh, which is not one of my five picks but was actually a stalwart of my lockdown living so mm. yeah mm. great cool thanks william yes. william do you want to do the honors and of pick course SW. Well, Sarah, well, I was going to say that this process is a metaphor for 2020 and that it's <laughs> it's pulling things out of a hat and hoping that there's hoping it some works. consistency. Yeah. You're hoping it works. <laughs> Baby Teeth from the year 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, there are films about adult teeth. There's even films about teenage teeth. <laughs> but Baby Teeth is about the little toddlers that the, they go to their little daycare and it's all it's like a toothpaste world it's all magical um and i, I guess lessons are learned because lessons gotta be learned right and there's a to- i mean for me the highlight of babe teeth is the tooth dance party at the very end <laughs> my goodness what a blast oh wow Sarah, do you want to enlighten us enlighten us well baby teeth is i believe that i called it a a little aussie charmer It's an Australian movie. It's the first feature by a young woman called Shannon Murphy. um, And it is absolutely superb. It stars Eliza Scanlon. Now, um, 
Earlier in this year, I saw Little Women, the wonderful Greta Gerwig adaptation. As we all know, there are four sisters. They're very, very dynamic, except for little Beth. Um, and Wussy Beth is played by the wonderful Australian uh, actress Eliza Scanlon. The beautiful thing about Baby Teeth is totally different character for her. She plays a middle-class schoolgirl who has uh, cancer, who is fighting cancer. Um, she lives with her very liberal parents. Um, one's a psychiatrist, the other's a musician. Her dad is played by the wonderful Ben Mendelsohn, my mm, favorite awesome. Australian actor. Yeah, and great. this is absolutely his least creepy role, which is so encouraging. He plays <laughs> her dad. Uh, her mother's played by Essie Davis from oh. the Miss Fisher Mysteries. And of course, uh, Babadook. And Babadook, yeah. which I have not brought myself to see, mm. but yes, she is indeed. So. Um, Eliza Scanlon's character, um, uh, Miller, uh, lives with these very liberal parents in a well-to-do suburb. Um, and one day, there's this fantastic meet-cute on a railway station, um, a, a grimy-looking drug addict young lad, um, played by a chap called Toby Wallace, um, from, I think, The Society or The Community or some kind of Netflix show, whatever. It's for young people. I haven't seen it. But anyway... He hurtles past her on the on the station platform as if he's going to leap in front of a train. But then he turns and it's all just a joke because he's strung out and kind of weird. And they have this wonderful meet cute and she falls in love with him. And he's a little more elusive because he's a bit older and he's erratic and he's a druggie. But she brings him home to meet mum and dad and this wonderful little relationship ensues. It is a fantastic film. Shannon Murphy, um, she wrote, I believe she wrote it or whoever scripted it uh in fact it wasn't her and i apologize to the scriptwriter whose name i have not jotted down is so well done this could be a cliche it could be um uh the fault in their star a fault in whose stars someone's our, stars our, our stars <laughs> um but it isn't quite that at all uh you definitely have this odd couple pairing you have all of the drama around that but you have the quirks and the charm you also have some really beautiful moments that speak to a teenager who uh, is losing her hair and still being a teenager and wanting to be a, uh, an attractive young woman and falling in love and all of those conflicting feelings. But all of the characters are brilliantly realized and brilliantly written so that it, even though there are laughs, it still feels um, real enough, you mm. know? Mm. And needless to say, there's pathos. Um, and it's a wonderful film, and I think that it's still out as we speak. And I was going to say, we've spoken about the paucity of films in 2020. Um, we know that the big ones are being put off uh, either till next year or indefinitely. But I tell you what, a space has opened up for local, whether that's New Zealand films like Savage um, and Baby Done, yeah. um, which arguably would have come out anyway, but are going to get a higher profile because yeah, there true. isn't very much to compete with. Um, but also for films like Baby Teeth to be able to come mm. out and really find their, their, their niche. And I don't mean that sneeringly at all, like, oh, we're so desperate for movies, we'll watch anything. In this instance, Baby Teeth is a five-star, fantastically assured feature debut, mm. um, and it deserves everything that it's going to get from that. You know, it did win a prize at Venice, um, I think last year, the Venice Film Festival. But uh, yeah, so actually there is reference to one tooth in it. But other than that, no dance party to do with teeth. <laughs> there is a dance party, but it's not to do with teeth. So Ooh, there you go. It's a great metaphor, isn't it? Baby teeth. Yeah. Mm. Particularly when you add that with the hair falling out. It's, it's quite mm. a lovely 
and, and devastating connection. I like that point though about the content being more getting more attention mm. uh, because there is less options. Mm. Uh, I, I, was, I was talking to William earlier, we were talking about Mary Poppins, the show, the big musical that I did earlier in the year, and that we were the biggest show in the world because we were <laughs> one of the only few things happening yeah. in the world. Sure. And, and the excitement and the, oh, the enthusiasm that pe- our audiences had for the show far surpassed what would usually, in mm. my experience, mm. be attributed to it because they were so keen to see something that was uplifting. Yeah. And the same with Baby Done. Like, um, when, when I saw Baby Done and at the cinema... The like, Rose Matafeo yeah, comedy, um, New Zealand comedy. Lewis. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it, was, it was fine. Um, great casting, great pacing, great direction. Story was okay. Um, but it was wonderful because it was, we're at the movies yeah. Yeah. and it was a new film and... I, I like that that it, that we're allowing this is allowing some of that local content mm. to come forward. Yeah, totally. And interestingly, like back in the nineties, there was a lot of New Zealand and Australian film and far more, um, not art house film, lower budget but yeah. still event films that mm. came out. And I feel that with this wealth of superhero movies and big budget films, it really has pushed a lot of that content mm. out of the way. Yeah. It? And unfortunately, the, I think what happens is it then changes to some extent viewer expectation and therefore everybody's like, oh, we have to make a superhero movie or a fantasy movie. And this is where we'll get into yeah. things like um, Watchmen and The Boys and all those sorts of films. But you're right, in the 90s, that was it was 93 or something when The Piano won uh, the Palm Door at Cannes mm. uh, and she won the um, her Oscars. And, you know, I, I feel like... Following those kind of situations, suddenly New Zealand Film Commission is, is uplifted, it's going to put money into things, and you're going to find that things will, yeah, um, yeah. perpetuate. And bloody superhero movies, as much as we enjoy them, have really um, squished the market, probably. Hey, mm. It feels like the only people championing like, mid-budget, low-budget movies are, like, for example, Taika Waititi's Picky Films. Um, there's more of that stuff coming out, but still not a lot. Mm. And even even in Hollywood, I mean, that's definitely the case where mid-budget dramas or action movies or anything, they just don't exist anymore. Mm. Yeah. You're mm. either very small and very indie and very select, or you're a superhero movie. Yeah. Or you're on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. And, and the quality is not great. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a lack of the same pressures that help cut help craft a film to be a bit more entertaining. Mm. You know, we've talked a lot about the ending of Netflix films falling off. Yeah. And, you know, that, that seems to be okay with the algorithm. The films that are coming out at the moment, and I say this from my re- reviewing capacity, are all of a sudden I'm seeing Czech films and Polish films mm. and British films. And um, certainly there's an air that has opened up there. Mm-hmm. But um, that either that's all that's available and they're from last year or the year before and now's the moment and we're desperate for something on the slate. Good films, I should say. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's always a silver lining with this whole COVID situation. Yeah. Right. Anyway. I'm going to choose one. And it's a William Chin. Oh. All right, here we go. This uh, film, I believe, is called One Cut of the Dead. Uh, it's a story set in a butchery. <laughs> a uh, butchery, uh, the butchers that is going out of business. It's a family business that's been in the family for years. Um, and in, in, a, in a moment of desperation, the, the head butcher decides to uh, take a dead body off a, a passing group of desperate-looking, um, let's say, criminals who need to, uh, like, can you look after this body for me mm-hmm. for a second? And so he, he says yes, and they start to realize that, 
well, in a true Sweeney Todd fashion, they could mm. take a small cut from that dead and sell it uh, to to the, the patrons. And is Will Ferrell good in that film? Yes, he's wonderful. Oh, he plays wow. the butcher. He oh, plays the, amazing. And it's one of, what know, can't he do? I mean, there's, there's an enthusiasm <laughs> about his role, but he's playing relatively straight as, wow. a, as a, like Jim Carrey... Um, Styles in say, um, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or The Majestic, wow. but um, yeah, and it's it's really about the moral dilemma of their business really starts to take off again. But and also the the local um, uh, crime crime body realizes they can get rid of bodies, but mm. they're feeding the public dead dead people. Incredible! Oh, no. I, I I want to see this movie. <laughs> um, also, I mean, it's it's very very much um, in the vein of Delicatessen, <laughs> right? Okay, One Cover of the Dead is uh, my film of the year. Um, I love this movie. It came out in 2017. Uh, it was a, 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 it's a Japanese movie. Um, the Japanese name is Kamara o Tomeru Na, or Don't Stop the Camera. <laughs> um, it is, uh, so it's a film by uh, Shinichiro Ueda, um, who is, he's not a first time director, he's done some TV stuff. Um, it still holds the Japanese record for having the most profit margin, the biggest profit margin of any film. It was made for about US $25,000. Wow. And to date, since it's been released on Shudder and other streaming platforms, has made over $3 million, No, $30 million. Wow. Which is a 1,000-fold profit. So $25,000 budget up yeah. to $30 million. $30 million. Wow. Uh, which is nuts. Um... It also has a 100% tomato, uh, Ron Tomatoes meter uh, uh, rating. Lord. It's very, very, very good. I, I think I told you guys when I first watched it, mm. like, you should both watch it because I think you'll really enjoy it. Can you give mm -hmm. us, without ruining anything? It is very much a movie you should go in fresh, but generally... Okay, so the synopsis is there's a very low-budget um, film about zombies being made at this abandoned chemical plant. Right, the, this Japanese company, they've been told by the TV station, all right, so we have this new strategy, right? You're going to make a one-shot zombie movie. So no cuts, single take. Um, it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be live-streamed, and that's how we're going we're gonna to get the, the people you know, watching our show. Um, and the, the director's kind of reluctant, but okay, he goes along with it, and while they're filming... Can I just say, and what a great premise. I know, I it's mean, incredible. Like, why doesn't everybody just do that? But You, you would make why. so much money. <laughs> You would have so many people watching this. What could possibly this. go wrong? What could possibly go wrong, Sarah? Well, what if a real zombie apocalypse happens while they're filming the zombie movie? <laughs> and so it's a movie. It's a movie about like what filmmakers do under extreme circumstances. Mm. And the director, of course, thinks, "Well, I'm just gonna keep the camera rolling." Yeah. That's what it says in the title. Is the film a one shot? The film is a one shot. Right. Um, it is obviously a lower budget one shot. But reading the behind-the-scenes stuff, like, it is not patched together from yeah, other yeah. shots. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty The choreography incredible. must be amazing. The choreography is nuts. Um, it's also, and why I, why I think you guys will like it, it's set up like a three-act play as well. So there's a real uh, theatrical structure to it. Um, and so much of what happens in Act 1 pays off beautifully in Act 3. It is a horror comedy. It's really bloody. It's very funny. Uh, funny. It's very charming and strangely life affirming. Mm. Uh, I can't say too many good things about this Great. film. 
It's on Shudder streaming. Please watch it. That's One Cut of the Dead from 2017. Great, great. Sweet. And I like that because our first episode of this year was our 1917 and Birdman comparison. Our, you know, two one-shot films. Mm. Well, yeah, one-shot that's in, right. in, in parentheses because... Yeah. You know, there's some patching and also there were some cuts and ostensibly one shot. Ad- ostensibly yeah. one shot. But what a lovely bookending of our <laughs> podcast as well. It's like Ooh. a much, much, much lower budget version of 1917. <laughs> <laughs> but we're just as much death. Have you seen yeah. all of George Romero's um, Night of the Living, Living Dead series? No. I, I, uh, let's see. I have. I actually haven't seen Dawn. Uh, Dawn I've of seen, the Dead. Uh, yeah. Which is, it's his best, right? I've seen Day and I've seen Night of the Living Dead. I've seen Land of the Dead, which is not, uh, not, not very good. good. But have you seen the one after that? Um, which is not very good either, but it's... Is it Diary of the Dead? Oh, yeah. Is where it's it... like found footage? Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of it. Mm. And maybe there's another one as well where they end up on an island, or maybe I'm confusing the two. Okay. Island but... of the Dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they, he definitely, he pushes, he tries to push the genre as much as he can. Mm. And it definitely doesn't work in the last three films, as well as the first three films. Even Day of the Dead's getting a little bit patchy. Yeah. Um, but my gosh, he he invented that genre, and then he really put, tried to push it to its limits right till the end of his his life. Um, <laughs> and and of course now he's come back as a reanimated. No, sorry, or <laughs> a mm. Right, Sarah, do you want to give us uh, another option? I do. Oh, JD. All right. <clears throat> Well, I have absolutely no idea what this one's about. It's called Watchmen. It's a TV series, allegedly came out last year. Um, so basically, it's um, it's a pretty dry sort of... Um, it's, it's pretty much a documentary series about a family of watchmakers. Um, and it's set in the Czech Republic... Uh, and it, it traverses many decades. It starts in like 1753 uh, and then it carries on. And I think what's interesting about Watchmen is, I mean, there's very little script, very little dialogue, uh, <laughs> absolutely no special effects. It's black and white, a lot of archive footage from 1753. <laughs> and, um, from 1753. That's right. Uh, extraordinary in that regard, but really... There are very long scenes of, of, of men, all men, doesn't pass the Bechdel test, <laughs> taking, taking watches apart with intricate detail and, and putting them back together. Um, it's very niche. It's not for everyone. Um, uh, but that's, that was Watch Men. Mm. Wonderful. I mean, to be honest here, I know you're joking, but you know, a lot of those things are still quite relevant because <laughs> we've got the, the Watchmen title comes from John Osterman's father, who was Polish. They were Polish refugees. Oh, I made that up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they escape uh, Nazi occupied Poland. And then the black and white content is a yeah. big part of oh, the forgot. series. Yep. And it, tr- and it Traverses. goes over a number of different decades mm. and time spans. Mm. So. Uh, whilst whilst there was all jokes in, in involved, it's actually even some more. <laughs> but it does have strong female characters. It does. So Watchmen is the 2019 HBO nine episode television series that is uh, helmed by Damon Lindelof of Lost and The Leftovers fame. Uh, it is a sequel, in some sense, of the 1986 graphic novel mm-hmm. um, by uh, Dave Gibbons and. Um, Alan Moore. Alan Moore, uh, which is a commentary on superhero genres at large and people being disenfranchised with um, 
with ideas of heroism, which I have to say the best adaptation of the original uh, Watchmen text is The Incredibles by Pixar, in mm-hmm. my opinion, yeah. because it is the same themes but told brilliantly. Um, but yeah, this, this, this TV series picks up 35 years after that text, and uh, whilst the original was looking at the socio-political times and frustrations with uh, the, the American Vietnam War and the disillusionment of the American dream, this new series takes head on um, the police brutality, um, race race in America, and particularly highlights um, and uh, the events of Tulsa in 1921, I believe, mm. 1921 or 1929. Uh, but the, the quote-unquote Black Wall Street, where an, Afro- an affluent uh, African-American community was uh, d- destroyed by Must white be 29, supremacists. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, that opening of the series is the first time that's been depicted on film mm-hmm. and was sent a lot of people to Wikipedia, myself included, mm-hmm. uh, whether that was true or whether it had been fabricated for the series and shock horror um, had no idea, as many other white people watching that show. Um, there's been a lot of conversations about that afterwards where African-Americans are like, yeah, we know about this. We, mm. This is part of our shared history that, that our families talk with us about and it's not talked about in mainstream media. Um, where does the series fit with regard to Zack Snyder's movie? So Zack Snyder's movie uh, is a pretty much shot by shot pretty recreation much. of the comic book, except they change the ending. And so in, and this is a big spoiler for Watchmen, so if you haven't seen Watchmen, maybe skip over 30 seconds. In the Watchmen comic, one of the characters gets a team together to to clone and create a giant psychic squid that is dropped on New York City. And that's what happens in the movie. That's what happens in the book. And the TV series pulls from that. In the movie, Dr. Manhattan, the the blue god-like character, he is the one that's convinced to obliterate uh, millions of people in New York City. So the ending is different, and it's quite a significant difference because the TV series pulls so heavily from the octopus squid plotline. But, but does the movie happen after the TV series, is what I mean. I don't mean was it made, I mean... No, the, the, the movie is a 1986 set story. Oh, okay, okay, And the okay. TV series is um, 2019 set. Right, yeah. with flashbacks, obviously. But the TV series does reference the film in that there is a TV series within a TV series, <clears throat> yes. which is in the original book. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a comic book within a comic book, yes. which doesn't make the cut in the Snyder film. No, um, and in that, and it's quite risque. Well, and it's, it's very, very weird <laughs> and disturbing. I mean, and it's, odd they're and... pulling from Zack Snyder, right? There's yeah. the slow motion and the slick <laughs> costumes, and there's there's all of that kind of over the top violence, which is absolutely part of Snyder's film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, I loved Watchmen. I watched it. I started watching it in Las Vegas last year when I was in the states. Finished it last year. Watched it. Have watched it three more times. Wow. Who watches the Watchmen? This yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and the the richness, the layers, the foreshadowing, the payoffs mm. are incredibly satisfying. You saw it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched it as well. So unusually, we have all seen this. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. Amazing. Yeah. Um. And we've had this conversation before, Jeremy, off the air. Um. I I loved the series until the very end, and I just didn't enjoy how everything tied together. Um. Again, slight spoilers, uh, I I thought the series would have been much better and stand on its own legs better if a certain legacy character wasn't brought back directly into the fold. Uh, I thought they, they weren't going to do that, and when they did, it felt like the pieces didn't quite fit for me. So that's just my main beef with the ending. Mm, mm. Yeah. On it's... the other hand, to have Regina King, black woman... 
fantastic actress who I first saw in the Will Smith movie, Enemy of the State, and she played his wife. Mm -hmm. And I always remember her, but it's interesting that she's actually been around for ages and ages and ages and ages and ages and is now becoming huge. And she's absolutely bloody marvellous, isn't she? Yeah, Yeah. and it won heaps of Emmys, didn't it? Mm -hmm. She won Best Actress. Yaya, um, who we talked about recently. I forgot, Abdeen, what's his name? Yaya Mason? I can't remember his last name. He's brilliant. Mm-hmm. He um he won and I, I think Abdul Martin. I think yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it won best best limited series. Mm. Yeah, so it's definitely mm. cleaned up. And yeah, the, the music is so good. Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, Ooh. right? Who and we spoke about just recently in our social network social episode. network episode. Did you do you know how that came about? How they they became part of the series? No. So um, what, uh, Damon Lindelof was thinking, okay, who do, who could create the soundscape for the mm-hmm. series? And he thought, you know what, I, it would be perfect. I can't think of anyone more perfect than Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. So he went to HBO and he says, oh, how can we get in touch with them? She says, do you know what's so weird? They got in touch with us yesterday seeing if they could talk to you about <laughs> doing a series of Watchmen. Wow. And then they said that they had made a list of all of the creators they'd like to work wow. with in the film industry. And Damon Lindelof was up near the top. And when they heard he was doing Watchmen, and they were both massive fans, they thought, we've got to try and get involved in this. Cool. Nice. So it was a match made in heaven, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks, Jeremy. No worries. Yeah. Sarah, is it your turn next, I believe? Uh, no, oh. I pulled out, so... Um... Oh, yeah, you pulled out Watchmen. Okay. Right. William. It's another JD perk. <laughs> yes, I see what it is. Okay, um, ladies and gentlemen, we're not going to beat around the bush. It is uh, Jeremy's pick is Cats, oh, a film from 2019. <laughs> I'm now, so glad Williams pulled this uh, out of the hat. Just when you thought you didn't need to talk about this film anymore, just going to say that, uh, like you, Jeremy, I. I've seen cats. I think we've all seen cats. I mean, how could you not see cats? Oh, I saw a lot of cats. (laughs) But did you see cat buttholes? Maybe, maybe not. Cats is a adaptation of the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. And it is one of, it's at the same time, it's a Schrodinger's cat situation, right? If you would pardon. I wish it was dead in the box. (laughs) It is at the same time. One of the most abhorrent disaster pieces of all time, where every penny has been spent on on something so extravagant and garish, you just cannot tear your eyeballs away. Um, and also at the same time, um, actually kind of good. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I, it's sort of stuck with me. I watched it during level four lockdown with my flatmates. It was so much worse than we re- we thought it would be. We thought we were going to have this frolicking, hilarious, laugh-at-the-movie time. It was far more creepier, far more hornier, <laughs> and just so bad mm. that we were all a little bit creeped out. And that stuck with me. I had a, a, a terrible two-day migraine in lockdown, <laughs> which I'm still not convinced wasn't actually coronavirus. Like, it could have been coronavirus. And I had three different cat songs going in my head. It was truly a, a nightmare oh, situation. A delirium. It was terrible. One of them was Mr. Mistopheles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Mistopheles was stuck in my head. Um, that film is the, the, the tonal deafness of let's have people singing live on set to let's cover them in CGI fur, is just the weirdest double standard that mm. did not work. Um, the poor actors are given it their all, except for some of the ringing special guests. Like, 
I love Rebel Wilson usually, but she is terrible. James Corden is not good in this film. It's... They all do the best they can with oh. what they've been given, though. Like, they literally do what they're asked to do. Totally. Totally. And, and like, <clears throat> you have... You have created a proxy character. I don't even remember her name. Victoria. Victoria. So you can sing all the songs to her. And then you break the fourth wall at the end with Judy Dench just talking, (laughs) singing at the camera for like two minutes. For two minutes. For two minutes. Oh, it's so bad. It is so, so bad that, like, I agree with you, William. It's kind of amazing. Do you know what's so heartbreaking? Again, here comes empathetic Sarah. um, That so many of the actors had not seen the film until they went to the premiere. Yeah. And, I, I mean, oh, to be a fly on that wall, you know, just to see whether they are like, yeah, or whether they're like, wait, what? <laughs> or I don't know what it would be like, you know, because they enjoyed the, they enjoyed the process uh, and thought that they had done something good, because yeah. you would. And it, what would it be like to be in the cinema and then have this collective experience of, <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's interesting. I, I, I've been reflecting upon this. You know, I do a lot of, as we know, sh- shows, musicals. And I've had family members come to my shows and say, that was the greatest thing I've seen you in. And then the next show, that's the worst show I've ever seen you in. And it's like, mm. as an actor, I am giving it my all in every mm. show. I'm having a blast. Yes. Like I'm making mm. really good connections. Sometimes you're not having a blast and you make a great show. So the reasons why I do a show, whilst we're always trying to put on the best show, we don't actually get to experience it. So it's... Eh. You'll never see what it was eh. like. That's you know, like, right. And even with a film, I think if I, I mean, you want to put on, make the best film you can, but it's so out of your control. You're like, oh, yeah. well, at least I did my best. And yes. That's all you can really hope for. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so humorless. Like yeah. if you lose the humor of cats, you, you, you have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you have all of the, as you say, Jeremy, just disturbing scenes. Mm. I watched it with a group of friends. I've rewatched this film several times now <laughs> uh, re- with a, a group of my friends, and we were just like, "This is this is a cult." Like they're worshiping Judy Dench as a god character, um, and everyone's going, "Oh!" Ah, and then they end up having an orgy. <laughs> which, that's 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 cats. Yeah. Twenty nineteen. That's. So, I mean, I, and it has to be a highlight for me because it was genuinely. A, I remember that night so clearly. I will remember that night as as the the, the peak and both the trough of the two thousand and twenty level four <laughs> New Zealand wide lockdown. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. Right. Shall I pick another one? Mm. Okay. Oh, I feel like I picked William Chin each time. If we. You could do another one if Sarah. Yeah, I feel okay. like Sarah hasn't had one. All right, here we go, here we go. Corpus Christi, the 2020 movie, is, um, it's, it's uh, interestingly, like the other film I described, <laughs> death has a good part to, uh, to play, because um, it is about uh, Chris, Christie. Uh, she is a reanimated corpse, again, linking <laughs> to the zombie film earlier, um, who, she has a heart of gold. And whilst she is rotting slowly and, and smells incredibly bad, she just wants to get a job and, and, and you know, survive in this life. Um, and so she's continually turned down at each of her job interviews because mm. she, you know, she has an arm that Poor falls Christy. off halfway through or yeah. her head, you know, sort of slightly dislodges or she just, um, you know, has a, has a great, great hunger for brains. Um, <laughs> but she finds a job working at a pet shelter. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And... Um, in, in chaos ensues. Right, Sarah, tell us about Corpus Christi. What so, is this funnily movie? enough, absolutely not at all, but for one small point. Corpus Christi was a Polish film. Now, technically, it's a 2019 film, but we got it this year. And I'm pretty sure it was in the New Zealand International Film Festival. 
And absolutely the most stunning, heartfelt, extraordinary film uh, that I'd seen till then. And possibly it is my, my most extraordinary film of the year. <clears throat> a young man whose name I don't remember. A young man is in uh, a youth prison uh, and he is coming towards the end of his time at that prison about to be released. He'd be late, late teens, early 20s. Uh, and, and while he's been in prison and he's been rehabilitating his life, he has been taking on some of the Catholic worship within the prison kind of um, duties. Uh, no, obviously not as an actual priest because he's not an ordained priest, but, you know, learning, learning how to do the, the Catholic stuff. And on his release, he's sent off to this neighboring town where all of the releasees, if that's the word, go and they're meant to work in a lumber mill. Um, but he finds himself leaving the lumber mill, turning up at a, the local village, and the people make the assumption that he is the new priest who has come into the community to take over from the old priest, and he runs with it. And so this young man, who is an ex-con um, for crimes, I don't even remember whether we find out, but you know it's serious, um, is in, inveigling uh, the, the members of the community who have, in, who have experienced a terrible community uh, tragic loss of young people. So they're desperate for this, this religious savior to come along. And he does, and he's amazing, but he's not legit. And uh, so chaos ensues. Mm. So to some extent, he is indeed looking for a job. Mm. Um, mm. It is a beautiful film. The acting is superlative. The charisma of this young fellow who has that wonderfully complex character of being an ex-crim with a strong spiritual bent who's actually lying to people who blah, 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 you know, but is also mm. bringing extraordinary good. Um, is, it's just amazing. It is an incredible film. Um, so highly recommended if you ever get the chance to watch Corpus Christi. And I'm sure that a Polish film starring a whole lot of people you've never seen doesn't necessarily sound like the highlight of one's one's life. But um, yeah, amazing. Cool. Wow, Did cool. you watch it at the film festival? Mm. Oh, brilliant. And, it will, and, and online. So it was one of those hybrid, you know, you could watch things um, online as well. Mm. So I don't know. It'll become available on the, in the world at some stage. Mm. Mm. Magnificent. Again, a good, simple setup. I like that. A really good, simple setup. So great. And, and you know, um, I've, I've seen criticisms, I think from Tarantino, where he said that so often films these days, American films, are just situations. Mm. You know, we just sort of have a situation and then that's... that's we just watch people in it. We just watch people in it. Mm. Whereas a good story that has a good setup and then it kind of mm. drives through is, mm. is rarer. And I, I, I love that as a, as a setup. I I'm, think you'd I'm, really like this film. Right. Well, we've, we've sort of come not to the end of our podcast, but we've, we've got maybe 10 minutes left. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pull out our own last uh, options. We've got three each. And we're just going to do a quick whip around of what their highlight is. And why connected with you in, in 2020? Sarah, you, you jump in first. So <clears throat> another one of my top films of the year was Queen and Slim. Um, now, it's actually a 2018 film, but we got it this year. I'm not going to argue. Um, and again, I think it's one of those, uh, the opportunity presented for this film to have its showcase. So highly recommendable. And it's interesting you say, Jeremy, about a simple setup. It's directed by Malina Matsukas, a wonderful um, uh, black American um female director and the film stars the most beautiful couple of Daniel Kaluuya from um, Get Out mm. and other British films obviously and Jodie Turner-Smith they're mm. an American young couple 
They are minding their own business. They, well, they fall in love. He's the goodest guy. She's a great girl. They fall in love. Uh, the criminal law, uh, the, the police basically uh, get involved and um, things go awry and suddenly they're on the run for a crime that technically they had no hand in, but they're on the run for their lives. Um, and they're crossing America. And it's one of those wonderful, I guess it's not really a road movie, but I guess technically it is because they're driving, where they encounter various members of family or locals or people who, who help them on their, their journey to hopefully get free. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful performances, such a great story, exquisite looking film, wonderful cameo from um, Bokeem Woodbine oh, from nice. um, Fargo. Fargo. And The uh, Rock. And The Rock. Yeah. Oh, I didn't remember that. Um, and um, and he plays Uncle Earl. And it's just such a beautiful, great film. Amazing needle drops of music mm. from the time. Uh, and just fantastic. So, Queen and Slim. Brilliant. Nice. William, do you want to grab one of your... All right. Your so, my, my third pick um, for, I guess what, AV option of yes. the year. Yeah. Um, TV series on Apple TV Plus called Ted Lasso. Very, very good series. It's a, it's a sitcom uh, from Bill Lawrence of Scrubs fame. Uh, Jason Sudeikis, who uh, stars as Ted Lasso, but also uh, writers Joe Kelly and Brendan Hunt. Um, and it's about Jason Sudeikis as the titular Ted Lasso, who is a college football coach in the States. And for some unknown reason, he gets hired by um, the Premier League to coach a soccer team, even though he has no idea what soccer is. It sounds like a ludicrous premise, but it, it kind of, it takes a, a archetype, right? The, the clueless American, the good heart, the good hearted, oh, hey, hey there, how you doing? Yeah, American. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it kind of exemplifies why this kind of character used to be a good guy. Mm. It's, it's a show about optimism and about how he is a so-called dumb American, can come into a very toxic environment. It's all about money and cynicism. And of course, they're losing. He tries to get the team back on track. And how positivity can be infectious. And he, you know, they win some games, they lose some games, but they grow as a team because of how Ted manages people and not how he manages sports. It's a beautiful show and very, very funny. I think cool. you had me at Jason Sudeikis. I ah. love him. Um, what's it on again? It's on Apple TV+. Plus. So if, okay. if you, uh, dear listener, if you've purchased the Apple device in the last year or so, you will get it free. Mm. Um, yeah, Ted, and, Ted Lasso. Ted, Ted Lasso. L-A-S-S-O. Uh, also stars people like uh, Hannah Waddingham, the... Um, the shame lady from Game of Thrones, yeah, yeah. Um, who, who is his boss. Uh, She's a sex education. Right, well. that's yeah. right, that's right. Um, and just a wonderful mix <clears throat> of, I guess, sick, uh, American sitcom, Britcom, um, sports, like underdog sports dramas, and also workplace comedies, mm. all in one, um, 30 minutes a pop. Just a great, great series. Fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, one of mine is, oh, Shit's Creek. The, uh, the TV series, Canadian TV series, by Eugene and Dan Levy, father and son duo. Eugene Levy, you may know from American Pie, but I have a much stronger connection with him. And Catherine O'Hara, who plays his on-screen <laughs> wife in the TV series, from the Christopher Guest films. Yes. Like Winning for Guffman, Best in Show, Mighty Wind, and For Your yeah. Consideration. God Loves a Terrier. It's, yeah, God Loves a Terrier! <laughs> and The Kiss at the Edge of the Rainbow, or End of the Rainbow, oh, you know, Mighty Wind. Um, and I was watching this TV series before it was on Netflix, uh, because of those two. And I love everything they do. And so I've been a big fan of Schitt's Creek for a long time. 
And then when it, when it got on Netflix around season three, it, it just exploded in popularity. But it truly exponentially exploded in the mm. last year whilst they were making, or even after they'd made, the final, the sixth and mm. final season. So it's a show that's become a massive uh, phenomenon after the fact, which is quite lovely. Mm. Um, last year I was... A bit like Mozart. No, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first four seasons are spectacular. The fifth season, which happened last year, I was not impressed with it all. I feel it really lost its way. Mm. And so I was a little bit um, uh, not feeling this latest season. But I'm glad that I did because they really do bring it home. And one of the things I always admire from Schitt's Creek is that they they follow certain sitcom rules. You know, there's always the setup and the problems and there's the tensions. But they also subvert them. And so where there might be a secret that you're thinking, oh gosh, this is a secret that's going to cause the drama and they're going to resolve it by the end <laughs> of the episode. Sometimes they just tell each other the secret and then the drama's actually mm. found somewhere else, which is a viewer. Oh, great. It's quite, quite lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Schitt's Creek, if you haven't jumped in already, uh, give it a shot. I think people suggest you need to sort of let it sit with you if you don't connect with it straight away because mm. it takes a while, like these shows, to get to know the characters. Nice. So there you go. 2020 Schitt's Creek. Sarah, what's one of your next ones? This film I saw this year, I believe it came out this year, it's a really small, independent, art house um, American film called The Surrogate. Oh my goodness, what an amazing film. There's nobody in it that I've seen before or that I can remember that I've seen before. It's not that kind of film. There's a young woman and her best friend who is gay and his husband um, want to uh, have a baby. And she offers to be the surrogate for their child. Um, Is it Kristen Wiig? No. No, who's the actress? The actress, thanks for asking, because I actually have this written down. The actress is Jasmine Batchelor. Okay. Um, she's African-American. Um, and I, I'm afraid I haven't got it on me to say what else uh, she, she might be known from. It felt to me really fresh, really like watching people who were real people living mm. in, I think, New York. She's a graphic designer, if I remember rightly. But the beautiful thing around it is the unpredictability of the scenario. And I really don't want to give too much away. I highly recommend this film. Mm -hmm. Suffice it to say, things don't go entirely smoothly. And I don't really want to add in uh, why. But it's the kind of thing that... it's. This film is a classic, wonderful moral dilemma for an audience member to go, yeah, I wonder what I would do in that situation. And do we judge... The, do we who do we judge here for behaving badly mm. or for for having the wrong attitude to this or can we actually see their point of view and go well yeah this would be tricky or whatever it's so great mm. um, and as I say unpredictable as well it's also such a joy to watch something without having any idea how this problem is going to resolve itself so the surrogate directed by Jeremy Hirsch um, highly recommended great mm. great William. All right. Um, unfortunately, my final two picks are both uh, quite sad. Um, they're not happy picks, but I love them anyway. Do you want to so, share, share both of them? I'll share both of them, yeah. back to back. Okay, so um, they're both Netflix shows. They're both animated Netflix shows. Very, very different animated Netflix shows. The first one is The Midnight Gospel. Um, so this is one that came out earlier in 2020. It's um, created by Duncan Trussell, and it's based on snippets of his podcast, the Duncan Trussell, um, I think it's called Happy Hour, mm. um, where he basically talks to a variety of guests about matters like 
big matters, uh, you know, whether they are good drugs and bad drugs, um, talking about meditation, reincarnation, you know, the American death industry, like, and they're really, really interesting conversations. Now, he has, he's collaborating with Pendleton Ward, the creator of Adventure Time, mm. and also a lot of the Adventure Time art people like Jesse Moynihan's, and created a, a psychedelic world where his, his character is a, he's a space caster called Clancy, this kid. And he goes through this biological, this is going to sound crazy talk, <laughs> but a biological multiverse simulator where he ends up going to different versions of the planet Earth to interview people for a space cast. And that's, that's the, um, the overall bookends and the, the, the notion of the whole show. Um, the show is really weird. It's really uncomfortable at times because the conversations go to some dark places. Mm. Uh, the animation is also going to some dark places as well. It gets very gruesome or just discomforting. A lot of it is about existential dread. But at the end of almost every single one of these half-hour episodes, I would always either learn something or really feel something mm. about about life, you guys. About the human mm. about, condition. About the human condition. Mm. That's right. And I just got to... Because I know it's it's kind of a hard show to get into. I have friends who have recommended it, and uh, two, they've watched the first episode and gone, no, that's not for me. Mm. If that is you, dear listener, please, I guess, just try out the final episode of the season, episode eight, which is, it, it just made me cry. Like, I finished watching the show, and I started crying. It's a, again, spoilers, but it's, it's a conversation between uh, Duncan and his mother, who is dying of cancer. Mm. Um, and it was recorded from when she was still alive. And they animate the whole thing in his character. And she has a character as well. And it plays out as this, this cosmic conversation about the meaning of life. Mm. It's incredible stuff. Just what? so it powerful. Netflix? It's on Netflix. Right. Yeah. What's the name of it again? It's called The Midnight Gospel. Nice. Yeah, so if you want to try it out, the best episode is the last episode, but it's also one that I just find one of the most powerful things I've seen all year. Mm, yeah. Thanks. And the final thing is, of course, and I know, I know, Sarah, you tried out an episode and it wasn't really to your liking. It's BoJack Horseman. Mm. Uh, BoJack Horseman's... <laughs> I know oh, it's dude. popular. This is just me. Don't worry about it. Oh, my goodness. Sarah, when, when you told me the episode that you watched, I was like, no, I no, am... that's such a bad jumping off point. But anyway. My sister recommended. Somebody had said to her about BoJack Horseman and the improv episode. <laughs> and my sister knows that I used to do improv and that uh -huh. it's sneery about improv and therefore she was like you should watch this <laughs> <laughs> oh dear mm. um anyway um again bojack horseman uh, original netflix animated show um I, I guess it's it's one paragraph plot is that bojack horseman used to be a he He's a guy with a horse head, right? This is a, a world Wait, where there's you mean animal... mean part horse, part man? <laughs> maybe, Sarah, maybe. <laughs> this is a world where uh, animal people and people people coexist. Um, it is a Hollywood satire where Bojack Horseman um, used to be a big sitcom star back, back in the 90s. Um, and then it was like a full house kind of sitcom where everything was resulted in happy hugs and stuff at the end. And now he's a washed up celebrity trying to make it big in Hollywood, trying to get his fame back. Um, it's about that. It's a Hollywood satire, but it's it's also about basically everything else. It's a show about depression and how difficult it is to overcome depression. It's a show about trauma, uh, addiction, self destruction. It's it tackles racism. It tackles like sexism and the Harvey Weinstein's of the world before Harvey Weinstein was actually brought up on these charges. It 
the so Bojack and the characters around him are just such flawed, beautiful characters living in this flawed, beautiful world, and you root for them even though you don't want to sometimes. Um, I know it sounds like the Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero that I grew up with. <laughs> Issues based drama. It is a, it is it is not a straight up comedy. It's no. a tragic comedy, right? It's a dramedy. Um, I would say it's probably the best, and this is kind of high praise, but I think it's the best animated sitcom probably, if not of all time, but if not, then probably one of the top five. Um, it's, I mean, sorry, created by Raphael Bob Waxberg, and the art is by Lisa Hannibal, which is amazing. Um, I'll just say that Netflix, for its final season, advertised the show as the following. So, Soprano, Draper, White, Horseman. <laughs> and I think it's... That's very, very apt because it is it is about male anti-heroes and why we idolize them and why they should be forgiven or not. Wow. Yeah, so that Great. is Bojack Horseman. Great. Well, it seems uh, my last two are quite straightforward. So Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, which hey. of course is a 19-year-old film now. Watched it with a flatmate who had never seen it before. And it was the first time I'd seen the theatrical cut in, probably since it was at the cinema. Low-budget art house film. Yeah, right? low-budget art house film. Um, really holds up. I, I can't speak for the sequels. Um, I still love the sequels, mm. but they, uh, you know, they, they rely heavily on CGI. That first film was wonderful. And it's mm. the one that was before mm. the hype, right? The that first yeah. film was great. No one knew what, what it was going to be. Yeah. It's gritty, it's real, it's just, yeah. it was a great watch. And she was quite happy watching that one film and then me just telling her what happened. <laughs> <the reason. laughs> yeah. Um, and the other one was uh, Hamilton, the, the, the Disney Plus produced uh, or distributed uh, documentary about yeah, the yeah. small town, the, the city south of Auckland. Live film version <laughs> of the stage musical from 2016. Watched it again last night with my family and uh, it really is the highlight of the year for me. It was it had me in tears. I absolutely loved it. Um, and whilst there is definitely controversy about the content, it was, an, it was the best thing that Disney could have done for me. In this year of 2020. Mm. Bless you. Right, Sarah, what's your final film? My final film is The Invisible Man. I'm quite proud mm. that actually um, three or four of my five films um, have really, really strong female characters and, and focus on a, a, a woman. Um, the Invisible Man, which I have compulsively called The Invisible Woman all year for some reason, uh, stars the wonderful Elizabeth Moss. As um, And I love the take on this film that they didn't focus on the man himself. They focused on the woman who was being victimised mm. by the guy who had made himself invisible. It's directed by the wonderful Australian director Lee Whannell. Oh, yeah. Whannell, Whannell, who made um, Upgrade, <sighs> which was one of my top films from a couple of years ago that I raved about in our end of year thing. Flippin' Eck, what a great movie. The, the scares and everything are outstanding. The performances are outstanding. And the technology that renders our invisible guy, um, that we are able to see him move around and everything, is outstanding. So The Invisible Man, what a great and fun movie, and I can't wait to see it again. Brilliant. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, and Amazon Music. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. These are all great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, which will be the new year. Oh my gosh, that's 2020! One! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and until then, no, no or am I. I.